Okay, good. Thanks for your work over there with those folks. Your presence um, to those folks is, uh, is, is valuable, extremely valuable. Thanks for your help. Um, anybody else? Something that you're praising the Lord for this morning? Any needs in our uh, area, in our community, that the church could be a blessing in and help with? As you become aware of them, let, let us know here, our deacons and myself, so we can uh, be a blessing and uh, flesh out our calling to uh, testify and let our light shine uh, for the glory of God, give honor to our Father who is in heaven. And uh, fulfill what uh, Titus says, that we're, we're to be a people zealous of, uh, of good works and active in our communities. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Joshua 2, if you haven't yet already. If you do not need the Old Testament for the Gospel, then you don't have the Gospel according to the Apostles. In fact, Paul says this as he explains the Gospel in passages like 1 Corinthians 15, Romans 1, 2 through 7 where this phrase, according to the scriptures, is repeated. Because the gospel is anchored in the Old Testament scriptures. Because it's the unfolding and filling of the promised plan of good news of the Savior who is Christ the Lord. We saw last week Tamar. She shows us how God breaks through in an injustice in her life and he fulfills his plan. Rahab is going to show us this morning what faith Looks like. Here's the setting. Moses has died. Joshua is leading the Jewish people into the promised land. After God killed off the older generation in those 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, for their fear and their lack of belief to do what God had promised in the promised land, now there's a new generation ready to enter the promised land. And they're at the Jordan River. They're on the other side. They're ready to cross over into the promised land and take what God had given them. The first city is Jericho. It's a walled city. Joshua sends two spies to the land, and particularly to go into Jericho to spy out the city. Two men go into that city. Those gates and those cities would have locked at night, so they needed a place to stay before they go back and report. And of all the people... God opens up a place to stay at the home of a Canaanite temple prostitute named Rahab. You heard as Logan read here her dilemma and the choice that she had to make. Her act of faith, her understanding of who the God of heaven, the one true God is, what she had heard before, and then her pledge of allegiance to the one true God. And then Matthew tells us that she married a Jewish man named Solomon, perhaps one of the two spies. And out of her descendants comes King David, and out of her, his descendants comes the promised Messiah. You'll notice in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, you'll see this act of faith, this act of faith. So Rahab is showing us what faith looks like, what faith looks like. Her work and her act of faith is recorded in the New Testament two times. What is she applauded for? Well, in verses 1 through 7, when those spies were sent in, it says in verse uh, 1, And they went and came into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. 
Well, the king of Jericho finds out, hey, there's some children of Israel who are there. And, uh, and so he goes, sends messengers throughout the city to try to find these guys. He sends a, sends a search team. And verse 4 says, The woman took the two men and hid them and said thus, There came two men to me, but I knew not where they were. And it came to pass about the time of the shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went, I know not, nor pursue after them quickly, for you shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with stalks of flax, things they would use to make cloth, which she had laid, arranged in, the, in order upon the roof to dry. And so the men said, all right, well, we'll go look outside the city and try to find these guys. Of course, they didn't. And verse 8 says, And before they were laid down, she came up to them upon the roof, the men who she had hit, the Jewish spies. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that your terror, your, the fear of you, has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard, we have heard how the Lord... Jehovah, Yahweh, dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites. They were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon, and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our heart did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in, our, in any man because of you. Now listen to our statement of faith here. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now she had just left it there. If she had not welcomed the spies in, if she had not engaged in that, in that, in that hospitality, if she had not uh, 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 labored here and, and had any action, but she had this intellectual assent that, yeah, there's, a, there's a one true God, how real and deep would her faith be? So in verses 8 through 11, she explains why she did what she did in taking them in. And do you notice what she says? We've heard. She says, we've been hearing, we've been hearing. What did she, what did she heard? She had heard how the Lord had parted the Red Sea. Now friends, as we were, as, as I was, as we were studying this passage here, I, I, we, we began thinking uh, together uh, here about uh, when, when did that happen? When did that happen? How many years earlier had the Lord parted the Red Sea? It was at least 40, Right? And that story was still going. And people were still in fear here. Despite the Israelites' lack of faith, despite their failure, that was still going on. And uh, uh, so, so she's sharing the enemy's view of, of the God of Israel here, that he was greater than them in their fear. And friends, I just want to, just a little side, side note here. A lot of times we can look at what um, uh, uh, the, the, the enemies of God are doing. We can look at what's going on in the world. We can look at the rebellion here. And we forget that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We can forget that um, really what people are doing in the rebellion against God is actually an act of fear. They're scared of the one true God because they know they will have to give account to that one true God. And he is the true and living judge. And then she recognizes this opportunity that God had graciously given her. Now think of this woman, lost and dead in her sins forever how many years as she was old, right? All has sinned. But there was something here in Rahab's mind 
There was something she began to understand. No matter how faintly she began to understand is that God, the one true God, was calling her to him. That she was, she, she, out of the city of idolatrous people, a city and a culture that she had grown up in here, that she had a, this, this, this growing understanding of who God is. She had only heard of this thing that had happened with Israel, the parting of the Red Sea, and some of the other conquests. And she began to understand in her mind that this was the God who works great wonders. That he was marvelous. That he was singular. That he was the one true God. And there was a call in her life that she began to recognize. That made her willing now. And this is key here in understanding Rahab's faith. Made her willing to turn her back on her city. To turn her back on, 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 on uh, the, the bondage and the chains and the culture she had grown up on and betray them in a good way. Because she recognized that she needed to place her allegiance, her trust in the one true God. She confesses God's power, His purpose. She serves these spies. She knows who she's part of. She knows that these people who she is a part of here are cursed by God because of their sin and rebellion. And she wants to be separated from that judgment here. And the only way she knows how is to identify herself with the people of God and the God of the people here, this people. And she declares in a simple statement here, a powerful statement, a declaration of faith. And God gives her a unique position among the women of the Bible. Now, you, you, you're probably very familiar with the story. And it, it, uh, this, this story here of Jericho ends in chapter 6, as far as what uh, happened with the conquest of that city. And when she was talking to the, um, uh, the two spies, she said, I want you to, 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 uh, to give my family and I a promise of safety. That when God does what he says he's going to do and allows you to have victory here over this city of Jericho, I want you to promise me that you'll spare me and you'll spare my family members. And they say, yeah, we'll do that. We'll pledge our lives to you. If we don't spare you, we'll, we'll, we'll die. We'll give our lives. And one of the ways, the way that we want to, to, to make sure this happens, we want you to hang this a scarlet cord out of your window because your house is on the outside of the wall there. And when we see that cord, we'll know not to, uh, not to, not to take your, your family's lives here. Well, in chapter 6, verse 20, here's what happens. So the people shouted when the priest blew with the trumpets. And it came to pass that the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep, and ass to the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said to the two men that had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house and bring out from there the woman and all that she had as you swore to her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred and left them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city 
with fire and all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and iron, they put in the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive in her father's household and all that she had. And she dwells in Israel even to this day because she had hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Pretty powerful thing here. Well, I mentioned it was three times in the New Testament she's mentioned. And I'd like to look at two of those here. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 and see what uh, she is commended for in her life. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11. It's really one, one verse, one phrase. There's only two women who are mentioned uh, by name at least in Hebrews chapter 11. Sarah, Abraham's wife, and then uh, Rahab. In Hebrews 11, verse 30 says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not. You see the dividing line here. When she had received welcome to spies with peace. You see the dividing line here. Belief that resulted in her welcoming the spies. And then those that believe not perish. Now notice James chapter 2. James chapter 2. James chapter 2 is one of those passages there that uh, tells us about what true faith is. What, uh, a faith that isn't just a, 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 a good intentions. A faith that isn't just um, uh, ideas, but a faith that works itself out here. That, that completes a purpose and goal. And in James chapter 2, like Paul in Romans 4, James brings up the patriarch Abraham. This one who was called out. This one who was called to go into another country. He brings up Abraham, patriarch of Israel. Rightly, he should bring up Abraham. The one who was counted righteous before God because of his faith as he followed God. And who else should James bring up? Elijah? Moses? You know who he brings up? Of all the people. He says, and Rahab. Rahab. So let me read James 2, 14 through 26. What does it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he has faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say to them, Depart in peace, be you warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What does it profit? Even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. The devils also believe in truth. But you, will you know, <clears throat> O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works? When he had offered Isaac, his son, upon the altar. Remember what the Lord says to Abraham? When Abraham raises that knife, he says, Stop, Abraham. Now I know. There was a test there. Abraham, you say this. But you followed through, and now I know. Do you see how God values true faith? Now I know. 
See you how faith wrought or worked with his works, and by faith works was faith made perfect or complete. Came to its purpose. The faith came to its purpose. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham <clears throat> believed God, and it was imputed to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, shown to be declared righteous by God, and not by faith only. Likewise, also, was not Rahab the harlot justified, declared righteous by works, <clears throat> when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? Whereas the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So James is, it wants us to, wants to leave us in no doubt about what the point he's trying to get across here. And there's three separate times in this chunk here that he has declared his theme here. Verse 17. Faith, not accompanied by action, is empty. It's dead. Verse 20. Faith without action, deeds, is useless. Verse 26. Faith without deeds is dead. What's he trying to get across? That faith does not attain its purpose here. Unless there is life that flows out of faith. It's not real faith. And what he's saying here, he's not saying that, that, that works must be added to faith. Okay? He's not saying um, that you, you add works to a bogus faith. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is, when you receive the accept, receive the implanted word of God, James 1.21... God does transformation work in your life. He changes us. And it brings one to produce works pleasing to God. And James here gives us kind of a, uh, a test, so to speak, about the genuineness here of our faith. That there is obedience that flows out of saying, Jesus, save me. There's a loyalty to King Jesus. Jesus himself has, has pledged his life to you. A perfect life. A life that he gave in exchange, as, a, as an innocent one, for the exchange for sinners. And when you received him in faith, you in essence are committing yourself to him. You're taking his life and saying, I want your life. You're pledging your life to him. That's what it looks like in obedience to the true saving king. That's going to result and flow out of that. I have decided to follow Jesus. And so again, James is not arguing that works are added to faith. But the right kind of faith is going to flow into its purpose. And now let's think about Rahab, who's characterized here in James 2. She has drawn a line into the sand, hasn't she? When she welcomed those spies in, and when the king of Jericho came and said, Hey, we heard there's some spies around him. Heard anything about him? She draws a line in the sand. Now, some of you can quibble about whether it was right or wrong for her to lie uh, there and, de and deceive the king about uh, the spies. Um, I think you should look at it uh, from the lens of, of warfare here. She's deceiving the enemy, personally. And that's not the point the Bible brings out. The Bible says that was an act of faith. That was a pledge of allegiance here. She was showing who her allegiance was to. And so, what she's doing here is she's, she's not going back to the old life. 
She knows that if she uh, uh, reveals the spies, then she's just going to put her life back in alignment with the old world. Right? But she heard some things about this one true God. And now, because of what she knows about him, she is trying to put her life under his command. And act in faith. And she's willing to turn her back on those under the judgment of God. And say, I'm excited to follow Jesus, not conform to the old life. I wonder, as you look at the life of Rahab, you could ask this question. What does God do with us renouncing our sin, our bad patterns, and participating in the life of His Spirit, taking risk for His kingdom? What does He do? Have you thought about your life, how, like Rahab, you have been shown tremendous grace? You've been brought into His new covenant family. He's given you full participation, seated you on high with the enthroned king. You took a risk, didn't you? When you came to Jesus, you took a risk. There were things that you left behind. There were things you were building your life on. And you said, it's far better for me to come to Jesus. To have him wash my sins away. And to live for his glory. You, you took a risk of pledging loyalty to the king. You had little idea probably of what was going to happen. God's brought you this far. Rahab had little idea of what would happen when she let those spies in. That's the thing the scripture um, uh, highlights, right? She received the spies and then she sent them out the other way. You had, she, she, she took a step of faith. And here's what happened. Here's the amazing thing that happened. Matthew 1.5 tells us that Solomon and his wife Rahab were descendants of King Jesus. When she took that step of faith, you know what she was doing? She was participating in God's promised plan of this seed. Who in Genesis 3.15 would crush the head of the serpent. She was participating in this step of faith here of demolishing the serpent. And she was joining in God's mission to save the world and rescue fallen man. Now, she didn't have all that understanding, I don't think. But she had some of that. She had some of that. She believed with the heart. She confessed with the mouth. And she acted on her confession at the risk of her life. What an example. But friends, let's go to Matthew 1.5. Let's go to Matthew 1.5. We certainly see what faith is in the life of Rahab. But let's talk about the object of our faith. Let's talk about this one in whom we place our faith and our allegiance. Matthew 1.1 1, 1 says, The book of the generation, that word is Genesis. The Genesis of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Judas and his brethren, and Judah fathered Perez, and Zerah of Tamar, and Perez fathered Esram, and Esram fathered Aram, and Aram fathered Aminadab, and Aminadab fathered Neasan, and Neasan fathered Salman, 
And Salmon fathered Boaz of Rahab. And Boaz fathered Obed of Ruth, and Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David the king. Verse 16, and Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Messiah, the Christ, the Messiah King. The faith was daring, certainly. But we don't want to put the glory on Rahab, do we? We want to put the glory on the faithfulness of God. And we want to put the the spotlight here on the incarnate Son of God. You think when Jesus came, Luke tells us that there was no room, right? He was born in the place where where the animals were held. There was no room. But think about our Savior. The one who, Scripture says, welcomes those who repent and turn. The one who turns... Those who turn to him, he will in no wise utterly cast out. Who welcomes with wide open arms. Who pours out grace. Who takes the unlikely and makes them sons and daughters of the king. Who takes the poor, the broken, the sinners. Who takes the deaf, the dumb, the leper, the blinded. And makes them his own. Welcomes them in. He came unto his own and his own received him not. Those coveted people of God. And through his offer of the gospel of his own life and death and burial and resurrection and ascension. He says, but as many as received him. To them he gives the authority to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. Rahab tells us and shows us what it means to believe upon his name. Here is this king. As you are hearing the story of Rahab in Joshua chapter 2, as Logan was reading, you might have noticed that she puts out a test. Remember what she says? I want a token, I want a pledge from you two spies. I want to pledge that our lives will be spared. God follows through on that faith, doesn't he? She's spared. She hangs out that red cord. God spares. And it seems as though when she uh, was was liberated from Jericho in Joshua chapter 6, remember what the narrator, Joshua, probably, who's writing, says, and she what? She lives among the Israelites to this day. She's absorbed into God's family. She marries an Israelite, Salman, as they said, perhaps one of the spies. She marries him. She has a family. She has a fresh start in God's kingdom. Gloriously daring faith. Richly rewarded faith. Willing to sacrifice her life in a cause she knew to be of God. But here's the glorious thing. The most glorious thing isn't about Rahab. The 
the most glorious thing is about our God who pledged his life for her. That king who always existed as God the Son. That king who was sent by the Father. Who took on our human flesh and our weakness in fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham and David. This king who died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Who was buried. Just like we buried our loved ones. In a grave, in a tomb. This king was raised in the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Who appeared to many witnesses. Who is now ascended and enthroned at the right hand of God as the ruling Christ, the Messiah King. And this King who has sent the Holy Spirit to affect His rule and reign through your lives. Through His power in your life to shine brightly. This King who will come again as final judge to rule. What can we learn from Rahab in the Christmas story here? First of all, we're reminded by Rahab's change of heart and life. That is blood, who she had to look forward to, as we look back to. His blood can make the vilest clean, and his blood avails for me. Think about God condescending, the Redeemer condescending to her. When a couple thousand years later he becomes manifest in the flesh, he takes a despised Rahab to magnify his abounding grace for all sinners. God saved her from her evil life for her own sake and for this place she had in God's plan. Her sins had been a spot, a stain upon her life. The blood of Jesus Christ came through like he does for us. God's door of mercy stood ajar, didn't it? For the vilest sinner like you and I to know what it is to be saved, rescued, given a life for the king. And so Rahab becomes an ancestress in the royal line from which Jesus comes as a savior of lost souls. There's an old poem that says, Poor Rahab, the muddy, the defiled, became the fountainhead of the river of the water of life, which flowed out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Her name, connected with sin. Both times in the New Testament, Rahab the Becomes Rahab the righteous, sanctified and noble because of Jesus the King. I want to ask you this morning what's your faith like? Is your faith the faith of a Rahab? Some of you have grown up in this church, many of you have grown up in Christian families. You know the facts. You could tell me the gospel. Has its effects become real in your life? Is there a real faith, a faith of Rahab, a loyalty to King Jesus? 
whether you're a child here or all the way up to our dear elderly, Jesus invites you into his kingdom, invites you into his covenant family to trust what he's accomplished on your behalf through those points of the gospel that I just shared. How sad and how tragic it would be to even be among a group of God's people here in the church, but your heart's still in Jericho. And there will come a day when those walls will come down in judgment. When that city will be destroyed. The city of this world and the city of that old life will be destroyed. And the question is, will you have placed your trust and faith, your allegiance, to the King of Kings of the new creation? Will you come to Him today? And believers, at your baptism, you did spiritual warfare that day. You said, I am participating with King Jesus, my Savior, through His blood, through His death, burial, and resurrection, and Him as the enthroned King. To do war on the evil one. To be claimed out of that group of those sinners who will be condemned at the last day by his grace. Is your life aligning to his saving purposes? Oh, there's so much he gives. There's so much grace. There's so many gifts he gives to participate with him. And join in his mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ. Who obey everything that he's commanded. And when you were baptized that day and went under the water. About a month ago. You took Livy under the waters there in the pond. 60 degrees outside and probably who knows what in the water. She made a commitment that day. Her allegiance to Jesus Christ was declared publicly. And that day she said. My old life is dead. And I'm recognizing that, and I'm professing that, and I have new life with Jesus. Friends, live out by faith in the crucified and risen Son of God, Paul says in Galatians 2.20, the life that you have now hidden in Christ. Let's pray, and then we'll sing. Let's remember the Lord Jesus who came. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for this example here of Rahab. Lord, thank you ultimately for the example who had no sin. The one who came into this world and was tempted in all things like as we are yet perfect. Thank you that through his work we can be justified through his blood, declared righteous. Lord, I pray that the story of Rahab will empower us through your spirit for greater allegiance to you and participation in your work. May our homes display our allegiance to Christ. May our work display our loyalty to our Savior. And may our lives in every aspect say, very clearly, I have decided to follow Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.